Chapters thirteen and fourteen of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen on the track. It was nearly six o'clock when Claude returned to Earl Street, and Tate, already dressed for the evening, was waiting his arrival with considerable impatience his usual imperturbability had given place to a self-satisfied air as though he had succeeded in accomplishing a difficult undertaking he uttered a joyful exclamation when he saw claude enter but a look of apprehension passed over his face when he noted the altered appearance of his friend what is wrong he asked as claude threw himself into a chair with a sigh of fatigue do you bring bad news my dear fellow you are completely worn out here dormer a glass of sherry for mr larcher the servant who was putting the finishing touches to the dinner-table speedily obeyed this order and tate made his friend drink the wine without delay then he proceeded to question him regarding the reason of his pallor but with his usual caution first sent dormer out of the room only when they were alone did he venture to speak on the subject about which both were thinking well he demanded anxiously you saw mrs bezel yes i was with her for two hours ah said tate with great satisfaction she must have told you a good deal in that time she did she told me more than i expected did it concern your parents it did good then you no doubt heard her version of the crime yes these unsatisfactory replies which dropped so strangely from larcher's lips at once puzzled and irritated the questioner you don't seem anxious to confide in me he said in a piqued tone i will tell you all i am anxious to tell you all replied larcher finding his tongue but i do not know how to begin oh i shall save you that trouble by asking you questions in the first place who is mrs bezel my mother tate bounded from his chair with an expression of incredulity this unexpected information so abruptly conveyed was too much for his self-control your mother he stammered hardly thinking he had heard aright are you in earnest i cannot believe it according to the notice in the newspapers according to hilliston your mother died in london in eighteen sixty seven she did not die her death was a feigned one to escape the notoriety gained by her trial at canterbury did mr hilliston know she was alive yes it was by his advice that she changed her name oh oh said tate with marked significance hilliston knew hilliston advised huh john parver may be right after all tate be silent you are speaking of my mother i beg your pardon my dear fellow but i really do not understand you will shortly i will tell you the story of my mother's troubles and hilliston's kindness hilliston's kindness repeated tate in a sceptical tone nevertheless he resumed his seat and signified his willingness to hear the narrative the wine had done claude good and restored his self-possession so now master of himself he related all that had passed between himself and mrs bezel gifted with a retentive memory and no mean powers as a narrator he succeeded in giving tate a vivid impression of the conversation the little man with his head slightly on one side like a bright-eyed sparrow listened attentively and not till the story was finished did he make an observation thereon to this capability of listening without interruption tate owed a great deal of his popularity 
truth is stranger than fiction after all said he when claude ended and the novel is less dramatic than the episode of real life john parver did not dare to insinuate that the supposed dead widow of the murdered man was alive huh this complicates matters more than ever at least it clears the character of hilliston yes assented tate doubtfully i suppose it does can you doubt it said larcher dissatisfied with this grudging consent you can now see why hilliston was agitated at our interview why he asked me not to see mrs bessel so called why he called here the same evening to find out if i had gone and finally why he wished to prepare me before seeing her by telling of the tragedy oh i see all that said tate quietly nine men out of ten would consider hilliston a most disinterested person but i am the tenth man and am therefore sceptical of his motive but what motive can he have for that is just it interrupted tate vivaciously i can't see his motive but i will find it out some day well you can speak for yourself said claude frowning after what my mother has told me i believe hilliston to be an upright and honourable man you are quite right to do so on the evidence still if i were you i would not keep him informed of all our movements unless do you intend to go on with the matter he asked abruptly assuredly i am determined to find out who killed my father tate walked to the fireplace and took up his position on the hearth rug an idea had entered his mind which he did not intend to put into words nevertheless it was indirectly the reason for his next speech i think after all it would be best to take hilliston's advice and let sleeping dogs lie he had not calculated the effect of these words on his hearer for claude also arose from his chair and looked at him with angry surprise i don't understand you he said coldly some hours back and you were more eager than i to pursue this unknown criminal now you wish to withdraw may i ask the reason of this sudden change it seems to be useless to hope to find the assassin replied tate shrugging his shoulders one cannot discover a needle in a haystack oh yes you can by patient research well even that would be easier than to hope to solve a mystery which has been impenetrable for five-and-twenty years it has been impenetrable for that time because no one has tried to solve it this is not your real reason for wishing to end the case what is your reason speak i insist upon knowing the truth the other did not reply but thrust his hands deeper into his pockets and maintained a masterly silence irritated by this negative attitude claude placed his hands on the little man's shoulders and looked at him indignantly i know what your reason is tate he said rapidly it is not that you fear we may learn too little but that you expect we will learn too much yes replied tate simply that is the reason is it not an all-sufficient one for you to pause no shouted claude savagely it is all-sufficient for me to go on you think that i may discover that hilliston is the criminal or learn that my mother is accountable for the crime i tell you no such thing will happen hilliston was not near the laurels on the fatal morning my mother i have told you how she exonerated herself and the exoneration was substantiated by dennis bantry both are innocent it may be so but who is guilty jerringham 
i believe that he discovered that my father had returned and perhaps knowing of this intrigue between him and mona bantry remained at the laurels unknown to my mother in order to assist her as a friend how did jerringham obtain possession of the dagger i cannot say we must find out but he did obtain possession of the dagger and during a quarrel with my father killed him with it he fled to avoid the consequences oh yes i swear that jerringham is guilty but i will hunt him down if i have to do it alone you will not do it alone said tate quietly i am with you still but you said i know what i said i think it is best to leave well alone but since you are set on learning the truth i will help you to the best of my ability only added tate explicitly should you discover the truth to be unpalatable do not blame me i won't blame you i am certain that you will find that i am right and that hilliston and my mother had nothing to do with the affair help me that is all i ask i will bear the consequences very good then we had better get to work said tate dryly just go and dress my dear fellow or you'll keep dinner waiting why should i dress i am not going out to-night indeed you are we are due at mrs durham's at home at ten o'clock i shan't go i am in no mood for frivolity i would rather stay at home and think over the case it is only by hard work that we can hope to learn the truth very true at the same time it is necessary for you to go out to-night if only to meet with john parver the author of a whim of fate asked claude eagerly is he in town yes and he will be at mrs durham's to-night we must see him and find out where he obtained the materials for his novel do you think such information will lead to any result asked claude dubiously i don't think i am sure of it retorted tate impatiently now go and dress larger departed without a word fourteen the upper bohemia the name bohemia is suggestive of unknown talent starving in garrets of obdurate landladies of bacchanalian knights in shabby dress murger first invested the name with this flavour and since his time the word has become polarized and indicates nothing but struggling humanity and unappreciated genius yet your true bohemian does not leave his country when he becomes rich and famous it is true that he descends from the garret to the first floor that he fares well and dresses decently but he still dwells in bohemia the reckless air of the hovels permeates the palaces of this elastic kingdom of fancy mrs durham was a bohemian and every thursday received her confrere in the drawing-room of a very elegant mansion in chelsea she had written a novel i cling to thee with might and main and this having met with a moderate success she posed as a celebrity and set up her salon on the lines of lady blessington every one who was any one was received at her at homes and by this process she gathered together a queer set of people some were clever others were not some were respectable others decidedly disreputable but one and all to use an expression usually connected with crime had done something novelists essayists painters poets and musicians were all to be found in her rooms and a more motley collection could be seen nowhere else in london someone dubbed the chelsea mansions the zoo and certainly animals of all kinds were to be found there from monkeys to peacocks it was considered rather the thing to be invited to the zoo 
so when brothers and sisters of the pen met one another there they usually said what are you here as though the place were heaven and the speaker justifiably surprised that any one should be saved except himself or herself literary people love one another a degree less than christians hither came tate and claude in search of john parver the young man had made a great success with his novel and was consequently much sought after by lion-hunters however tate had learned that he was to be present at mrs durham's on this special evening and hoped to engage him in conversation so as to learn where he had obtained the materials for his story when they arrived the rooms were quite full and mrs durham received them very graciously it was true that they were not famous still as tate was a society man and claude very handsome the lady of the house good-humouredly pardoned all mental deficiencies tate knew her very well having met her at several houses but she addressed herself rather to claude than to his friend having a feminine appreciation of good looks my rooms are always crowded said she with that colossal egotism which distinguished her utterances you know they call me the new george eliot no doubt you deserve the name replied claude with mimic gravity oh i suppose so smirked the lady amiably you have read my novel of course it is now in its fourth edition and has been refused by smith and moody i follow the french school of speaking my mind and a very nasty mind it must be thought larcher who had been informed about the book by tate he did not however give this thought utterance but endeavoured to generalise the conversation you have many celebrities here to-night i presume my dear sir exclaimed mrs durham in capitals every individual in this company is famous yonder is mr padsop the great traveller who wrote mosques and mosquitoes he is talking to miss pecksworth the writer of those scathing articles in the penny trumpet entitled man the brute she is a modern woman oh indeed said claude equably and looked at this latest production of the nineteenth century she is rather masculine in appearance it is her pride to be so mr larcher she is more masculine than man that is her brother who designs ladies dresses and decorates dinner-tables ah he isn't masculine i suppose nature wanted to preserve the balance in the family the law of compensation eh oh you are severe tommy pecksworth is a dear little creature and so fond of chiffons he knows more about women's dress than his sister so i should think replied claude dryly he took an instant and violent dislike to mr pecksworth who was one of those feminine little creatures only distinguished from the other sex by wearing trousers a charming pair he added smiling i don't know which i admire the most the sister who is such a thorough gentleman or the brother who is a perfect lady you are satirical smiled mrs durham enjoying this hit at her friends now you must take me down to have some refreshment really you must thus inspired claude elbowed the hostess through the crush and escorted her to a bare counter in the dining-room whereon were displayed thin bread and butter very weak tea and fossil buns mrs durham evidently knew her own refreshments too well to partake of them for she had a mild brandy and soda produced from its hiding-place by a confidential waiter she asked claude to join her but he refused on the plea that he never drank between meals but you are not a brain-worker said mrs durham hurriedly finishing her brandy and soda 
lest her guest should see it and become discontented with the weak tea if i did not keep myself up i should die ah why here is mr hilliston hilliston said claude astonished at seeing his guardian in this house yes do you know him a dear creature so clever he was my solicitor in a libel action against the penny trumpet for saying that i was an ungrammatical scribbler just fancy and they call me the new george eliot we lost our case i'm sorry to say judges are such brutes miss pecksworth says they are ever since she failed to get damages for her breach of promise case here comes mr hilliston said larcher rather tired of this long-tongued lady i know him very well he is my guardian how very delightful said mrs durham with the accent on the very oh mr hilliston she continued as the lawyer approached we were just talking about you i trust the absent were right for once replied hilliston with an artificial smile and a swift glance at claude i have just come to say good-bye oh not yet surely not yet really babbled mrs durham with shallow enthusiasm then finding hilliston was resolved to go and catching sight of a newly arrived celebrity she hastened after the amiable fashion of her kind to speed the parting guest well if you must you must good-bye good-bye excuse me i see mr roller a delightful man writes plays you know the new shakespeare yes and thus talking she melted away with a babble of words leaving hilliston and his ward alone they were mutually surprised to see one another claude because he knew his guardian did not affect bohemianism and hilliston because he thought that the young man had left town the meeting was hardly a pleasant one as hilliston dreaded lest mrs bessel should have said too much and so prejudiced claude against him i understood from your refusal of my invitation that you had gone to thorston with tate said he after a pause i am going to-morrow or the next day replied claude quickly but in any event i intended to call on you before i left town indeed said hilliston nervously you have something to tell me yes i have seen mrs bessel good you have seen mrs bessel and i have made a discovery oh has the lady informed you who committed the crime no but she told me her name margaret bessel murmured hilliston wondering what was coming not margaret bessel but julia larcher my mother she she told you that gasped hilliston his self-control deserting him for the moment yes i know why she feigned death i know how you have protected her you have been a kind friend to me mr hilliston and to my mother i am doubly in your debt hilliston took the hand held out to him by claude and pressed it cordially the speech relieved him from all apprehension he now knew that mrs bessel had kept their secret and immediately took advantage of the restored confidence of claude his quick wit grasped the situation at once my dear fellow he said with much emotion i loved your poor father too much not to do what i could for his widow and son i hope you do not blame me for suppressing the truth no i suppose you acted for the best still i would rather you had informed me that my mother was still alive to what end it would only have made you miserable i did not want to reveal anything 
but your mother insisted that you should be acquainted with the past and so i gave you the papers i am glad you did so and now what do you intend to do asked hilliston slowly you know as much as i do is there any clue to guide you in the discovery that your mother still lives no she can tell me nothing but i hope to find the clue here ah you intend to speak with john parver i do said claude rather surprised at this penetration do you know him i exchanged a few words with him replied hilliston carelessly i only came here to-night at the request of mrs durham who is a client of mine as i paid my respects to her she was talking to john parver and he was introduced to me as the latest lion so you still intend to pursue the matter added hilliston after a pause assuredly if only to clear my mother and restore her to the world i am afraid it is too late claude you know she is ill and cannot live long nevertheless i wish her to take her own name again she will not do so until the assassin of her husband of my father is discovered so you see it is obligatory on me to find out the truth i trust you may be successful said hilliston sighing but my advice is still the same and it would be best for you to let the matter rest after five-and-twenty years you can discover nothing i cannot help you your mother cannot help you so but john parver may interrupted larcher sharply i will see how he learned the details of the case before hilliston could make further objection tate joined them and not noticing the lawyer hastily took claude by the arm i have been looking for you everywhere said he come and be introduced to mr linton who is mr linton john parver he writes under that name ah mr hilliston i did not see you how do you do sir i am quite well mr tate and i'm just taking my departure replied hilliston easily i see you are both set on finding out the truth but you will learn nothing from john parver why not mr hilliston because he knows nothing good night claude good night mr tate when hilliston disappeared tate looked at claude with a singular expression and scratched his chin you see said he quietly mr hilliston has been making inquiries on his own account you are incurably suspicious said claude impatiently hilliston is my friend yes he was your father's friend also i believe what do you mean nothing nothing come and cross-examine frank linton alias john barber clearly tate was by no means so satisfied with hilliston as claude End of chapters 13 and 14